All right. Well, welcome. Good to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us at Northwest. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. So excited to be here with you this morning and to be sharing from God's Word. So this is the season of anniversaries, is it not? How many people were married in May or June? Raise, raise your hand up really, really high. All right. A fair amount of you. First service was a lot more. Maybe they're more the early risers. I don't know. But yeah, this is the season of anniversaries. This is the season of graduations. For me personally, in, in my world, this is a great season. My birthday is June 8th, so it was Friday. My anniversary is June 13th, which is Wednesday. And then next Sunday is Father's Day. So in the world of Jerry, this 10 days is what I call my 10 days of glory because it's kind of all the great moments kind of packed into a week and a half. And the rest of my year is mostly just doldrums and oh, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I've got a great life, but it especially comes into play in these moments, right? And some of you guys that have anniversaries, certainly a lot of you graduates who are getting ready for parties and even people that have, you know, celebrating graduating from middle school or elementary school or kindergarten, that's where the illustration breaks down, but... Certainly the later ones, these moments of kind of wrapping things up and taking an opportunity to reflect back and to enjoy and appreciate the circumstance of what you've been able to accomplish. And here we are, as you perhaps know, today is our last Sunday as part of our You Will Be series in the book of Acts. Last week we talked a little bit about ending up chapter 12, and that was kind of like our false ending, and then this is kind of our our real wrap-up here, but it's a similar feel as anniversaries and graduations, whereas you're you're celebrating, and for us, we're celebrating getting through these weeks and and everything that God has taught us and looking back and enjoying. And, And the question that I want to pose to you is, you know, when you think about scripture and when you think about these early, the early church, and when you think about these big moments, you can't help but ask yourself the question, what would it be like if the early church hadn't pressed on through so many different obstacles? What if they had stopped? We talked many, many times about what we see in Scripture is the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. One of our main theme songs that we really rolled out at least probably 50% of the time, maybe a little less, was that song, Unstoppable God, Let Your Glory Go On and On. And as you look out over these first 12 chapters, you're like, man, they were faced after obstacle after obstacle, and what if they had stopped? What if they didn't press on to see the beauty and the joy and the progress and the character and the story of when they overcame? Because I know for us also, you look back on your marriage, you look back on high school graduation, and you see how much you've grown, and we can notice those highlights of circumstance where there was difficulty, and we can celebrate how much God taught us looking back now. The same thing is true of the, the early church. Right? Think about it in Acts chapter 2, if you remember, you know, that's where everybody was gathering together and there was such a sense of awe among the people and they had a joy and a sincerity and a gladness of heart, it says. And they'd be meeting with each other day after day in their homes, breaking bread together. Like, just think about, you know, that had to be difficult at times, right? You ever plan a family meal and, like, your kids don't want to go? You know, you're going over to somebody's house, like, I don't want to go there. Their kids are so loud and unruly, and, you know, they don't like the food that, I don't like the food that they prepare. Like, going over and being with people can be messy. 
And at a deeper level, you look at at the end of chapter 2, end of chapter 4, right, where it says, and over and over they would share generously with anybody who had need. And people are selling their land and, and giving it to the church and giving it to the poor, distributing it, all these different things. Those things were all needed and necessary because of trial, because of obstacles. Maybe for some in the early church, it was an obstacle of their own heart, right? Like, I've worked hard for the money. That's an old song, isn't it? Some of you caught that. You're like automatically in your mind. I saw that. But every single one of these huge triumphs came out of an obstacle and what was on the other side of it. You got so many incredible accounts in there, right? Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. You know, you got people healing lame beggar and then getting persecuted because of it. Right, that's circumstance, that's difficulty. Acts chapter six, you got this whole situation where the church is growing and more administration is needed, more leadership is needed, more organization because there's so many widows that need help and there's not a good system and obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. But what we see is we kind of wrap some of this up and as we look back and reflect is waiting on the other side of that was something glorious. I didn't realize it at the time, and that slice and that frame in the story of the early church was filled with confusion and anxiety and fear and difficulty. But the Lord sustained them, and the Holy Spirit propelled them forward. And it's been an unbelievable study for us, and, um, and we're so thrilled at everything that God's taught. But here we are in Acts chapter 14 is where I want you to turn to today. And this is kind of like wrap up slash to be continued, headed on into the rest of the life of the church. But for our purposes, this is where we're going to wrap things up for this school year. Acts chapter 14 gives us a beautiful snippet into the life of the Apostle Paul and his reaction to a circumstance that can be an unbelievable example for us. So Acts chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Now, I just want to share to you what's happened here in this transition. Remember, last week we talked about Acts chapter 12 was so pivotal. Uh, the Lord did so many incredible things and in releasing Peter from prison miraculously and all this. Well, what happened in chapter 13 and chapter 14 is we got an introduction of a guy named Barnabas who really is stepping up onto the scene now. And it's really cool. This morning we're celebrating and praying for our team that's going to a place called Camp Barnabas. Because you remember Barnabas was, was renamed, and, and the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. You don't find too many people named Barnabas nowadays, right? No young kids are named Barney running around that I know of, you know, but maybe it's because 40, 50 years ago there was the name Barney Fife, and maybe that struck people as, I don't even know who that is, I'm just trying to connect with my older audience, okay? Man, the crowd is fickle. We'll see that here in uh, Acts chapter 14, how quickly the crowd turns. But wasn't there some other show called Barney, like with some detective or something? Or am I just, do I vaguely remember that? Barney the dinosaur is probably another reason why you don't see too many Barneys around, right? But the point is, it's a strong name. And it was a great nickname 2,000 years ago. But the point is, in this massive transition, follow me now, Peter was represented of the church gathered. 
Okay, you remember Peter was one of the ones that hung around with Jesus and was part of his inner circle and Christ really poured into him, became a leader at the church of Jerusalem. And he was representative of kind of the church gathered. This was the center of the activity. They didn't travel around much. It was Jerusalem. We're staying there. We're impacting people, whatever. And we see a big transition here from Peter to Paul. And Paul is representative of the church that is scattered, that is going out. Peter staying in Jerusalem and working on leadership there, and that's the central focal point. And Paul is going everywhere, sharing the gospel as he is scattering out this incredible good news. And as Paul was headed out, as the Lord would have it providentially, the Lord said, you know what? I need to send somebody with you who can prop you up. We don't know too much about Barnabas, really. We don't know that he was necessarily a great orator or that he had all these other skills. But one thing we know about Barnabas is he was an encourager. He had the unique ability, and maybe you got somebody like this in your life that can kind of telegraph maybe where you are and where your heart is or where your mind is and what you're wrestling with, and he's just got that unique way to come around and to prop you up when you need it the most with his words. It's incredible the power of words that can cut down, that can cripple, or that can give life and encourage And as Peter was headed out, as the Lord would have it, to all these different cities, God knew, man, I need to have somebody. Of course, Paul's got my Holy Spirit, which is called the comforter and the encourager. But you know what? Sometimes it's good to look somebody eyeball to eyeball as well and have a human there next to you in the background that can prop you up when you need it most. And so here in Acts chapter 14, it's Paul and Barnabas, and they're going around spreading the gospel from city to city, and everywhere they went, seemingly it was the same story. Certainly some people would follow after Jesus, but for so many, this was so foreign, this was so angering, and they got thrown out of city after city after city, filled with discouragement. But I want to draw your attention here to this account, because they entered into a certain city called Lystra. Now at Lystra, reading in verse 8, Eight of Acts chapter 14 to bring us up to speed. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Those of you that, are, that have been around with us here at Northwest or know your scriptures, does that remind you of another scene? You're right? You remember we talked about the transition between Peter and now Paul? The same thing happened to Peter. Remember he and John were walking along and there was a crippled man. It looked intently at him. Same kind of story happened then too. You're seeing some amazing things being repeated. It's incredible. And very similar to what happened with Peter and John, the crowd was astonished. And here's where we really get into the interesting piece of the narrative here in verse 11. It says this, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Anybody here ever been to a foreign country where everybody's communicating with each other about something and you're not quite connecting? Right? I've been involved in certain mission trips, you know, we were over in India one time, and I've been to Japan, and I've been a lot of different places, even Haiti, some of you guys will experience this, the kids are talking or chirping or the adults or whatever as you're sitting there, and you're like, I hope that they're getting this. Do you think that they're going to respond to the gospel? You know, they had a translator there, whatever, and they start just chirping around with each other, and they were getting something all right, but it wasn't the right thing. 
This was a colony that was really infused with a lot of mythology, Greek mythology. And so when they saw this miracle, they were like, the gods have come come down upon us. It's incredible. Check out what happens, continuing in verse 12. Now Barnabas they called Zeus. Maybe he had a really long beard, I don't know. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So just imagine the situation, all right? They are thinking that these guys are deity and they're going, quick, get the, get the oxen, get the garlands, get the flowers. And they start almost forcing their way up to the front in a big mob around Paul and Barnabas who really don't quite know what's going on still. And yet they're bringing these oxen up there and they're getting ready to sacrifice it and they're putting all these flowers around them and Paul and Barnabas are like, stop! Look at what they said here, verse 14. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with a nature like you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see the connection to what happened in Acts chapter 12? If you were here last week, if not, hopefully you heard the podcast. Remember at the end of Acts chapter 12, it was Herod who was in Caesarea and he had that giant robe made of all these silver strands that was shining in the morning sun as he was up there giving some speech, setting himself up as a deity. And you remember the people started chanting, this is not a voice of a man but of God. This is not a voice of man but a God. Doesn't really have a good ring to it, but in their language it really matched better. But you remember, because of his pride, he set himself up as a deity, and the Lord struck him down because of his pride. Well, here, Paul and Barnabas, they're getting the same exact treatment, and they want nothing to do with it. In humility, it says they rip their garments, pleading with them, don't worship us, we've got something far better. They were focused, and they didn't want the glory for themselves. It's incredible. So as we keep on reading, skip down to verse 19. Check this out. But then Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Talk about your crowd being fickle and turning very quickly, right? Think about this, guys. These Jews, these zealots, these people so anxious for the law and so hating of the things of Jesus traveled all the way to Lystra over roughly a hundred miles just to shut down Paul and to stir up the crowds to have him killed. I want you to think about the irony and the connectivity to what happened earlier on with Paul when he was on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? Paul, who was called Saul at that point, was zealous, wanting to drag Christians off, wanting to murder Christians, traveled roughly a similar distance all the way to Damascus to do the same thing. Can't you see how everything comes around again? Now here's Paul actually living for God in these same people that he used to be one of them, traveled all the way to Lystra for this very reason. And they stirred up the crowds who at one point were worshiping, but now were stirred up the other way. And now it says in a very quick sentence, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. They dragged him out of the city, most likely on a giant heap where they put dead things, and they left him. And so I paint that backdrop to talk about where we are headed as a church and as individuals. 
Paul at this point had experienced an incredible tribulation. He had experienced pure evil. Violently attacked by an angry mob, there was, there was no reading of the Miranda rights, there was no trial, there was no justice. For doing what? Healing a crippled man, doing something that was good. So just imagine the difficulty that Paul is looking out over all these people, grabbing these stones and injuring him and unconscious, bloodied and beaten, dragged out and left for dead. It doesn't make sense. He was broken. He was weak. He was afraid. He was unconscious. But you know what? He wasn't alone. There's three quick things that I want to grab from this narrative that can absolutely apply to us as a church as we're moving forward and busting over obstacles to see the joy and the beauty that's on the other side. If you're taking notes, three quick things. What do we want for our church? What do we see from this slice, this example? What do we want our church to be about? Number one, it's about surrounding each other. It's about surrounding each other. Check out verse 20, first part of it. There he is, verse 20. It says, but when the disciples gathered around him, when the disciples gathered around him, just think about this for a moment. Paul's community gathered around him in his most desperate and vulnerable hour. The Greek word for gathered is kukluo, and it's a powerful word. It means to encircle, to encompass. And when you look at that idea of gathering in Scripture, as you think about the prophecies in the Old Testament even, you think about David, he used this word a number of times where he talked about my enemies, my enemies are the ones gathered around me. My enemies are the ones encircling me, wanting blood and wanting me dead. You think about that concept of people gathering around and it can be one of two things. At the extremes... David over and over said, these enemies are encircling me, they're around me. Jesus even prophetically when he was on the cross, remember, my enemies are encircling me. When you think about Jesus at his most vulnerable, at his weakest moment, it was those who were scoffing and mocking and wanting to take advantage of it. Guys, when we're weak, when we don't have anything left, we could feel like we're either surrounded by those that want to take advantage of it or surrounded by those that will challenge us to take courage so what did his friends do you can imagine paul slowly opening his eyes everybody thought he was dead you can imagine the extent of his injuries but he opened his eyes and what did he see he saw the faces of those that he loved the most at his weakest moment he was surrounded by friends now here's what the scripture doesn't say not saying it didn't happen we don't know but it's silent about it it doesn't say that his friends had a prayer meeting for him. It doesn't say that his friends laid their hands on him and healed him. It doesn't say that at all. As far as we know, he was still injured, he was still wounded, he was still half dead, but we know that he wasn't alone. Somehow, he found the strength to stand up. I'm telling you right now, guys, if anything we see in Acts chapter one through 12, we see exemplified right here. And that's when there's trial, when there's tribulation, presence, prayer, your being around, you're surrounding each other when they're wounded, when they're at their worst. It's so important. We want to be the kind of church that does that. And we are the kind of church that does that. But there's so much more that we could do. We surround each other. You're not going to believe what happens next. Point number two, if you're taking notes. 
What is our church about? It's about marching ahead in our weakness. It's about marching ahead in our weakness. Keep on reading in verse 20. What did he do? He rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, look at this, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Picture this. Okay, He saw his friends surrounding them, those faces not saying a word. That gave him the strength, the encouragement, and he hobbled right back into the city, right back to the scene of the crime. He walked right back in, bloodied, broken, bruised, unbelievably frail and weak. Imagine how vulnerable he was at this moment. And yet, what happened? That same crowd, that same mob, when they saw him undoubtedly, did they pick up stones to kind of finish off the job? Scripture doesn't say that. It says, essentially, Paul was never harassed again in Lystra. Just imagine this aura of seeing this person that they almost killed. It wasn't, oh, quickly, Paul, let's get you out of here. Quickly, Paul, crawl away. Let's get you out of here. Nope, he's going right back into the fray. Right back to the very ones who did this damage to him. And what Paul was basically saying to them is, you know what, guys? I'm not done with you yet. And more importantly, God's not done with you yet. He marched on even in his weakness. Many of us are familiar with the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Right? And that's the account where Paul, later on in his life, had this thorn in the flesh. And he would pray to God over and over, please, Lord, take it away. And it didn't happen. Okay, and that's where 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But God said to me, this is Paul talking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Many of us have heard that verse and taken a lot of comfort in that verse before. And rightly so. In this situation where the Lord wasn't answering his prayer. But in this very same account, Paul broadens it. This whole idea of weakness and grace goes way beyond just this situation. In the very next verse, in verse 10, he says, For guys, don't don't forget, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, this situation, but also with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Even this very situation, as he hobbled back in, is that an incredible sign, even though physically he could probably barely walk and barely see, so injured? Is that the epitome of weakness? Or is that the epitome of strength and resolve? One of the most incredible things that we want to come around moving forward as a church is for us to take a look in our own lives. The the weaknesses that we have the injuries that we have, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational. The list can go on and on and on and on. We are are a gathering of injured, wounded, limping saints, right? Anybody who thinks that they're in here and they got it all together or has any notion that the people that are up front here on stage leading worship or, you know, on staff have it together, we're way off. We're wounded just like you. 
We're weak. We're frail at times. We're fearful. We're anxious. We're broken, just like you. But like Paul, with his people surrounding us and encouraging us and being there for us with their presence, we can move ahead even in our brokenness. What's going to happen beyond that? Check out this. It's so beautiful. Third thing that we just want to land on here. What is the church about? It's not just these first two things. But man, as we move ahead, it's about the unexpected disciples that we will see. The unexpected disciples that we will see. Keep reading in in verse 22. We already said he returned to Lystra again. Went back to that very city. Unfettered as far as we know. Verse 22, he was strengthening the souls of all the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Think about the weight that that statement had now for Paul now that he's experienced what he's experienced. He now had authority and credibility to bring other people along because of his life experiences as difficult as it was. Verse 23, and as they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And one of the incredible pieces of scriptures that we see later on, it makes it very clear that one of the people that Paul brought to the Lord in Lystra after this situation was a young man named Timothy. Paul wrote letters to him later on, 1 and 2 Timothy. Towards the end of his life, he invited him in as his protege. He discipled him. He poured into him. And Timothy became an incredible pastor, leading the church of Ephesus and making a huge difference for the kingdom. But you know what? That didn't happen before Paul looked and saw all these guys holding stones, ready to throw it at him. That only happened because it was unexpected that he would come back in and who God would lead to himself because of Paul's experience. And so, man, as we just kind of bring this to a close here, I think that these three concepts are so unbelievably huge for us as a church right now to think about what church we want to be, and especially in this last point, okay, about unexpected disciples. Now, there's a good crowd here this morning. Love you guys. We are so glad you're here. We know the summertime has already really come upon us, right? School's done. We know we got lots of families already taken off. We know the summer is going to be in and out and all over, but, but we look around and we love all of you, but I look and see some of these empty seats here. Let's pray together as a church and say, Lord, what kind of unexpected disciples are you going to be filling these seats with in the next couple of months and in the next few years? Because Paul didn't know what was going to happen in Lystra. He could have never known that he'd meet this young man, he'd follow Jesus, and they'd be so close. It was all God's divine sovereignty as he went back in to face his accusers and his tormentors with the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. He didn't know. And so I think about, man, you know, everybody in here, at one point, your best friend, you met them for the first time at some point. An interesting thought. Brian Cross, I met him for the first time. Jeff, there was a time I didn't know you, and I met you. And you just have to put your mind and heart forward a little bit that's saying, Lord, what kind of unexpected disciples are we going to see in here if we as a church step out and start to meet people for the very first time as we step out on faith like this church that is on a mission to bring this gospel? It's an incredible thought. As we're bringing things to a close here, I just want to put this phrase up on the screen because I think it's so vital for us as we end this this part of Acts, and that's essentially this. The church is one of the few institutions on the face of the earth that exists for its non 
members. Just think about that. Every other organization, every other enterprise, essentially, well, of course, the reason we exist is for the people that buy in so we can make them happier, we can provide this service for, whatever. The church is one of the very few institutions that the reason we exist is for the people that are not part of the membership. And man, as we head out this summer, we want this to be a summer of fruit. We want this to be a summer of change for our church body. We want that to continue. It's been a great year. The Lord's taught us a lot of things, brought us through a lot of things. And we don't want this summer to just be kind of haphazard and everybody's out. And so, you know, not that it ever has been in the past. I'm just saying that temptation can be, ah, you know, we'll really get serious back in September when everybody's back. Man, we've got a summer series that we're super excited about. And it's called Don't Waste Your Summer. Okay, and we're going to be studying from Galatians chapter 5. I think I mentioned to you guys last week if you were here. Man, this, this past year we've had some Sundays where we go through an entire chapter of scripture in one Sunday. This summer we're going to be taking one word, maybe two, and that's going to be the whole message. We studied this, the, the, the spirit and how powerful he is and tying in with that. So what does that look, look like? What is the evidence of that in our life? So going along with our summer series that starts in two weeks, by the way, next Sunday, if you're in town, you need to be here. Special Father's Day service. we got a guest speaker. It's going to be phenomenal. But two weeks is when we start this summer series. And our challenge for you this summer is two things. And we've got those on the screen. Our band can go ahead and come on out and prepare to, for us to close together and worship and dedication. But as a staff, we really wanted to have two very specific challenges for our body both as individuals and families, and also as life groups. Okay, two things somehow throughout the two and a half months of summer that we would be so thrilled if you would step out on faith and do these things. Okay, the first one is this, to impact a spirit-ordained situation with generosity. Okay, what I mean by that is this. You're on Nextdoor app, you're on something else, you find out, you hear through the grapevine about a neighbor, somebody in your community that has gone through a tragedy, or maybe it's a single mom, or maybe it's an elderly family, or maybe a family that's, that's unemployed, they don't have a lot of means. You're going to say, you know what, this is spirit-directed, the Lord allowed me to know about this, we exist for our non-members, so we're going to step out and we're going to do something and pour out extravagant love and generosity on this situation. And you know what's so cool is I know that that's already happening, but we want to challenge that to happen more and more and more. And I want you to know that we as a church, we are behind you in that endeavor. And what I mean is this, it's not just, hey, nice job. I heard about this family that did this, or I heard about this life group that went together and did this. I'm saying we are behind you in the sense that we've got some resources set aside for this summer. And if there's a situation and somebody needs some, some work done on their house or they need their, their you know, wh whatever it is, we've got opportunity so that, so that resources are not a problem. And we want to use that to bless people through you. So that's challenge number one. And number two, we want to challenge you to love out loud through reaching out to your neighbors and inviting them into the joy of living. Like, well, what in the world do you mean the joy of living? I'm saying I want you to uh, invite your neighbors over for dinner. I want you to have a cookout. Anybody else like to eat as much as I do? I doubt it. I want you to step out and say, hey, you know what? The Lord's placed these people close to us in our apartment complex or in our condo or in our subdivision. 
And we want to invite them into the joy of living. Check out this verse. Same exact chapter, Acts chapter 14. Listen to this verse. This opens things up for us. Look at this. When, when, when Paul's talking to these people, he says, In past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Do you see that? He's not talking to Jesus followers. He's talking to other people that are enjoying bounty and relative wealth and enjoying food and enjoying their families. So we as believers need to be on the forefront and invite our neighbors in and be like, you know what? We enjoy food too. We enjoy friendship too. We enjoy laughter too. And Paul is saying, because you don't realize it now, you're blinded to it now, but the Lord is the one that gave you this comfort and this joy and that house and in, in, in our circumstances. So we want to capitalize on that to get to know our neighbors, but also to say, hey, we want to, we want to invite you into the joy of living so that if opportunity arises, we can share with you the grander purpose in God's design. Amen? So those are our two challenges. You'll be hearing more about those this summer as we go throughout our series, and we'll be highlighting ways that you can do that. But man, as a church, let's step out. Let's continue to surround each other, to encompass each other with love. Let's continue to do all of these incredible things that we've seen here in the book of Acts. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Lord, let us march together, even in our weakness, God, even in our brokenness. Lord, let us go back by the power of your grace, even to the ones that have hurt us, and be an example, God, of that forgiveness and love. And Father, we just pray with all of our hearts, Lord, that a year from now, months from now, we can look back on the people that have come into our fellowship in community so unexpected because our people stepped out and shared your message with them. So we love you, Lord, and take us now, God. Use us now, we pray, in your son's name.